We love the small business entrepreneur, and our goal is to really say, you don't have to be burning out, you don't have to be killing yourself trying to run your business and not making enough money, and you can never take vacations because you're tied to your store. Those are the stories we were hearing over and over and over. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, the dog gurus Robin Bennett and Susan Briggs share their experience to help others in the pet services industry and to help dog owners become smarter consumers and better companions for their dogs. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. You can support Rosie Fund by making a donation on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards featuring Rosie and Peaches and our shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description, and these items would make great gifts for the holidays. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Any donation amount is greatly appreciated, but here are some popular levels. $30 provides a collar and leash for a Rosie Life Starter Kit dog, and $100 covers their entire kit. You can also support Rosie Fund by downloading, subscribing, rating, and most importantly, sharing dog words. Follow us on social media, even if you aren't looking for a dog. Watching and sharing the videos helps our channel gain exposure, bringing awareness to our cause and giving shelter dogs much-needed attention. Our free Rosie Fund YouTube channel offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs looking for their forever home. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions, especially if you have an idea for a topic or guest. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Next time on Dog Words, Dr. Doug Mader, author of The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital, shares his stories from his fascinating life as a veterinarian. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today's guests on Dog Words are the dog gurus, Robin Bennett and Susan Briggs. Welcome to Dog Words. Thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. Yes, great. I want to know all about the dog gurus, what that is, but... If each of you could just give a little background of why you are interested in dogs and what brought you to becoming the dog gurus. I will kick that off. I actually, ironically, grew up with no dogs in my house. I had three older brothers and my parents didn't want a dog. So I showed them and became a dog trainer later in life, but I didn't have any dogs growing up. I actually joined the Marine Corps and was in the Marine Corps for several years and was always loved dogs. Like since I was a child, I was the kid that had dogs following them to school and dogs were in my yard. And I just, I don't know, I just always gravitated towards dogs. So I did want to learn more about them. And when I was in the Marine Corps, I actually took a leave to go to a dog training school, basically thinking that would just be a hobby for me. And I came back from that dog training school and started helping people with their dogs while I was still on active duty in the Marine Corps. And turns out people wanted to pay me for that. So I had never actually thought about having a career in the pet industry. But once I saw that, I decided I would go into the reserves. So I ended up staying in the Marine Corps for 25 years, but went into the reserves and then started a dog training business 
on my own and eventually grew that dog training business to a fairly large training business in Virginia at the time. So I had that for 18 years. During that training business, I actually started dog daycare, which if you think back to 20 some years ago, dog daycares were not popular at all. Dog parks were not available at all. So it was a fairly new concept in the pet world. Well, not only was it not common, it certainly wouldn't look anything like what someone would walk into now dropping their dog off at doggy daycare. 20 years ago is a very, and and we'll, we'll address that I'm sure later, but I just want people to keep in mind that what you were doing 20 years ago is not really equivalent to probably what you're doing now. Right, exactly. So I started that and then started getting people asking how to do their own dog daycare. So that led to me doing a little bit more consulting. Ultimately, I wrote a book and then ended up meeting Susan, who also had started her own business and had daycare with her business as well. And that led to us starting to work together. So I'll kind of throw it over to Susan and she can continue that story where I left off. Yeah. And I guess my background, I actually was in corporate America and in the late 90s went through my second takeover of the company I work for by a larger corporation and decided rather than relocate or stay with the company that it was time to try my hand at being an entrepreneur. And as Robin said, this was the time when dog daycare was fairly new. So with a couple of business partners in Houston, Texas, we opened, which was only the third dog daycare pet resort in the greater Houston area. So, you know, it's interesting to go back to the days where we were explaining why someone would even want to bring a dog to doggy daycare. I would encourage our listeners to pull up any metropolitan area, but maybe try Houston on Yelp and type in dog daycare. I bet they get more than three hits. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of crazy the think that you've lived through all that but um yeah we're not talking about the 1950s exactly about this century just 20 years ago yeah yeah it is amazing to see how the industry has changed and robert and i kind of came in with our pet businesses on the cusp of when it was going from mom and pop kennels where you kept dogs separate to more pet resorts dog daycares keeping the dogs more active rather than just you know making sure they were well, cared for while people lodge, having activities and, and being much more active. And then now we're seeing, you know, like you said, the explosion of every type of pet service out there is doing some form of dog daycare. So Robin and I did start working together to provide training resources for the dog daycare staff because, again, it was a new industry. So that there weren't the resources on teaching staff to safely care for the dogs. And we kind of were both involved in our trade association and setting the first standards related to how to operate a daycare safely. And that was a passion we shared that daycare should be fun. It's a great fun activity for dogs that like to be there, but there's a way to do it and ensure safety. And that's always been kind of the core values that we've built our work upon. At the time you both started, you keep saying you did doggy daycare. Was it actually called doggy daycare? Did people ask you about what is doggy daycare or was there any sort of expectation from people that there was this equivalency to child daycare was anyone expecting the same sort of treatment so there's six or seven questions for you to (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of ironic when we started 
we did call it dog daycare, but I don't think there was any expectation about anything. People, like Susan said, we were explaining to our clients why they would want to bring their dog to play with other dogs and whether or not that would be good for their dog. I don't think there was any expectation on the pet parents to think that was equivalent to child daycare. Ironically, though, because throughout our industry, we always see the pet industry sort of follow human industries. So we actually did see a change as Montessori schools started to become popular. We actually did see the value of starting to format the daycare that way. And we actually now to this day, about six years ago, I guess we started really recommending to our members that they go to a more structured format, more similar to a preschool and adding more enrichment and not just having dogs play all day without a lot of structure. So there's been a change, I think, over the past decade in that respect. The daycare expectations of your customers have evolved over 20 years as just society's relationship with dogs and pets has evolved. And we've had countless discussions about that on this show, particularly with uh, the book Pet Nation discussing it used to be you had a pet, they stayed outside, or maybe it was an indoor pet, you had to go on vacation, you would ask someone to check on the the dog and make sure it got walked every day or let out. Uh, If you had a cat, they could come every two or three days and check on it, evolving to the point of people planning their vacations around, what can I do with my dog? Being more cognizant of its needs I don't know if that that travel component happened before people recognizing, well, if I'm gone during the day, what is my dog doing? My dog needs socialization, enrichment. Was your clientele primarily initially people traveling and needing someone to take care of their dog? Or was it the, I work five days a week, I'm gone for eight or nine hours, and I don't want my dog to be alone? Or was it some combination of that? I think what I found was it was mostly the business people because our facility was located just south of downtown Houston. And so we did get those business people that were working very long hours or even healthcare workers working very long hours that felt guilty that their dogs were alone so much during the day. So that was kind of initially what built the daycare. I know for us, we did provide lodging and we provided cage-free lodging way back in the early 2000s where we had a staff person spend the night with the dogs in the daycare room. And that's what brought in vacation travelers. And I was surprised to hear many people told us, this is the first vacation we've taken in years because this is the first place we felt comfortable leaving our dogs because they're not going to be put into a kennel and left alone. They're going to be able to socialize with other dogs that you're staffed 24 seven. And so that, that made you feel really good that you could allow people to take a vacation that they hadn't done because they didn't want to leave their dog. Yeah, it's one thing to leave your dog with the environment you just described that there's someone going to stay with them, but there certainly would be a guilt factor to, I'm going to go enjoy myself in Cancun and my dog's going to be in a kennel for seven days, just let out for a brief walk and to get fed a couple times a day. When did you see this sort of snowball into, it was two in Houston and then you became the third to it becoming 
ubiquitous. And both of you address this because you're, we're in different parts of the country. Did it kind of just happen nationwide? I think by, you know, 2005 to 2008, there was a lot of growth in dog daycare in Houston, as well as what I would call pet resorts to where they marketed that you plan your vacation, plan your dog's vacation with us. They won't just sit in a kennel or cage. We're going to do activities with them, whether it's, you know, nature walks, play times. We'll read them a story at the end of the day. I mean, we got on the local news in Houston because we would read stories to our dogs in daycare and they'd all just kind of lay around, uh-huh. you know, the staff member, you know, that really, I think started growing pretty fast to where by 2005, you saw a big change in how pet care facilities provided services. Yeah. I think it was nationwide that we started to see part of just that humanization of pets, people kind of having higher expectations of what their dog was doing. But I think it happened within the entire pet industry. Like Susan said, we saw kennels start to rename themselves into pet resorts. We saw grooming starting to rename itself as spas for dogs daycare is starting to grow as well. And then all the activities so that you're not just dropping your dog off at a kennel where they're not going to do anything. So I think that happened pretty quickly nationwide and, and continues to grow. So it grew to the point where a trade association made sense mm-hmm. because you want to have standards nationwide because you don't want one pet resort or spa that really isn't a resort or spa that is just a storage facility for animals that becomes the face of the industry. You don't want people thinking, well, I don't want to drop my pet off there. That's certainly not worth the money. Or yeah, that was cheap, but that wasn't good for my dog. So a trade association is going to bring standards. It also brings interaction with the bureaucracy because there's going to be zoning and permits and things nationwide that maybe don't reflect what you actually want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so trade association isn't just a marketing tool for a business to say, we're a member of, and then they can put the certificate up. That's a lot of work. So who was the idea? Was it to say, I'm not doing enough work. I'm not busy <laughs> enough. Let's, let's help get a trade association up and running. Our trade association has gone through several different mm-hmm. iterations Yeah, the the original trade association we were members of had focused on representing kennels. And so when Robin and I were members, you know, we were kind of the black sheep because they were very cautious on whether daycare is a service that should even be offered and whether it could be done safely. And credit to them, they kept an open mind. And Robin and I did a lot of education sessions for them. And they were the ones that said, okay, if this is going to stick, and they were, they had the foresight to see it was, that it was something the public was demanding, let's incorporate standards into it. And so we did that for the original trade association, and I was on the board of that for several years. That association, unfortunately, did go bankrupt, and we had kind of a gap for the daycare. So right about the time Robin and I started the Dog Gurus, we saw there was a gap that no one was really still publishing the standards for daycare. And so we kind of brought that into the dog gurus. And so that's part of what we share with all of our members. And we even have a safety pledge. And so we kind of brought that to the private. There is a association now that started later that we do work with and recommend. But a lot of that is getting kind of adopted in the private sector too for our industry. 
We keep referencing the dog gurus, and uh, enough pieces have been revealed that listeners may be starting to figure out what it is. So explicitly lay out what are the dog gurus. Susan and I had worked independently while we owned our own companies. We had worked together to create some staff training programs, as Susan mentioned, to help pet care facilities train their staff on how to take care of the dogs. We then started to find that a lot of these pet care business owners love the dogs, but they didn't really understand how to grow their business or even how to manage the business side of their business. With Susan's background in accounting, she started putting together some forms and templates and trainings to help pet care business owners understand how to read their financials and how to grow their business and how to set their prices. And she was doing that sort of independently with her own company. Finally, after several years of working the dog gurus as a joint venture, we decided to just combine all of our assets, all of our IP into one company called the dog gurus. And the dog gurus now really helps pet care businesses launch, grow and profit. So our goal is to provide business consulting services to pet care business owners to help them manage and grow their business. And then we also have staff training programs that help them to train their staff. So our goal is really to help that entrepreneur keep the dog safe, but also be a profitable business. It would be the exception for someone to be an entrepreneur or just wanting to be self-employed who becomes trained as a dog groomer or is a certified yoga instructor or likes to do landscaping who says, and I love accounting and payroll, <laughs> scheduling, managing people. This is what I want to do. Yeah, because if exactly. you're, so, so yeah, if you run a lawnmower all summer going through college or through high school, and this is your summer job and you decide I like working outdoors and the guy I work for has a really nice truck and trailer that hauls our equipment. I could see that as a future for myself may not realize you're not spending as much time outdoors running the business as you are as an employee of the business and grooming dogs. You're not going to spend as much time with the dogs and with the customers, the part of it that drew you to the business as you do taking care of taxes and different compliance requirements. So to have someone who's figured that out for you, either to help you do it on your own or to give you access to someone who can do it for you can be the difference between surviving and bankruptcy. Exactly. Yep. I would totally agree with that. And most of, like you said, most of these people get started because they love dogs. And Mm -hmm. our goal is really to say, because we love the small business entrepreneur. And our goal is to really say, you don't have to be burning out. You don't have to be killing yourself, trying to run your business and not making enough money. And you can never take vacations because you're tied to your store. Those are the stories we were hearing over and over and over. And we were trying to break that mold to say, no, it is possible, but you have to learn these other skills. So we definitely have seen the success for those members who get in there and decide they want to learn that extra set of skills to run their business successfully. No investment has a guaranteed return, but you're going to increase the likelihood of success if you invest in learning those things. My experience as a small business owner and self-employed and an entrepreneur and working with others in those uh, categories is that it's so tempting to have the hubris. I, I can figure this out myself. I can do this. I'm smart enough to do these things. 
that I'm good at already that got me into the business, I can figure out doing my own books. I can figure out building a website. I can figure that out. Like, well, maybe you can, but you could pay someone else to do it in the fraction of the time it takes you to learn it and do it poorly. <laughs> exactly. We and get someone whose experience really, does it right. Yeah. You know, is that the best investment of your time mm-hmm. as a business owner when time is usually what everyone feels is in short of supply? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we try to say, don't do your own books, learn how to do the analysis of the information and understand what it means so that you can grow your business and set it up to be exit on your own terms with profitable. This is your retirement for most small business owners building their businesses, their retirement plan. So you want to build that asset as much as you can. And so now we really do enjoy helping our pet care service businesses improve their financial situation, as well as finding more time to enjoy running a business. Because again, that's why you got into it. And yeah, spend that time with your employees and with your dogs. The contact with your employees is going to make them better employees. You're going to be able to train them or weed out the people who don't show the promise that they need to show. And it's shocking, I think, to... And I think most people can associate with this or identify with this. If you have a bad experience in a restaurant and then you talk to the manager or the owner and they're shocked that the server or the chef was making those mistakes or performing so badly, it shouldn't be a surprise. They should know what their employees are doing. They should know what's happening front of house. They should identify those issues before a customer brings it to their attention. Right. And yeah, it it goes to, you know, the safety of the dogs, which the key to um, ensuring as much as possible, the health and wellness of the pets in your care really does come down to how well are the staff for that business trained to do what they do. I think, you know, we take care of one or two dogs in our home and we think, well, you know, how hard could this be? Well, mm-hmm. you know, we put together a staff onboarding and training programs and it's amazing how many different training modules there are to train a staff member to know everything they need to know to keep all types of dogs safe, mm-hmm. to keep the facility clean and to have that healthy environment. Just think about if you have a dog or more than one dog and someone comes to visit with a dog, a new dog is introduced to the pack. Think of that happening multiple times a day, every day, having to right. sort and that then out. The dogs, and then the dogs keep playing together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so monitoring that as well. It's not just a meet and greet where you're encountering somebody on a walk who also has a dog and we'll sort this out and then we move on. You know, this is the rest of the day. They're going to be together for the next eight hours. Right. What sort of feedback have you gotten from people who've joined your community? Well, I would say the feedback is overwhelmingly positive. We've we've uh, continued to grow. The Dog Gurus has continued to grow since we started, so that's obviously good. We still get requests to speak at industry shows as well as write blogs or be on podcasts or that kind of thing, so that continues to grow as well. And then we've built our coaching program as well because of the desire that people want to join and learn more and have kind of go a little deeper than just some of our online programs. And for most of those 
people that are in like our coaching program, they end up renewing year after year. So we have like a 90% renewal rate for that. So I would say it's been very successful and, and makes people happy. I do know that we've seen those of who are using our staff training programs do see a significant decrease in number of incidents they have with the dogs and the staff. So that's obviously a good thing. Dogs aren't getting hurt or injured or staff aren't getting bitten or that kind of thing. So we can see that result as well from those who take the training seriously and invest in that training for their team. I would imagine it impacts positively staff turnover, knowing that you're getting training and you're being set up for success. And then of course, then the employer doesn't have to put as much resources into training new personnel starting from scratch yeah, it's great. We've found a lot of our referrals will come from staff who were at one facility where they did use our program and then they move and go to a different facility that doesn't. And yeah. then hey, they wait, refer what, what's that wrong here? One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why so are you doing this wrong? <laughs> yeah, someone's already found a solution for this. Why are we trying <laughs> exactly. to figure it out? The last place had uh, the dog gurus. Are there services or even specific types of training that surprise you that weren't part of the original vision of the dog gurus that you didn't realize, well, we need to offer this service or people are asking for something that didn't occur to you would be a uh, item or service that you could provide? What immediately came to my mind is when we have our Knowing Dogs program, which is what we've had since 2010 based on our book, which is canine body language and how to keep dogs safe. During the pandemic in 2020, we expanded that to add more education modules. And I think what I was surprised was what the industry needed was training on soft skills for their team members. You know, how to be a responsible employee, how to be a good team member, how to have that personal accountability to my team as well as to the dogs in my care. And so I think for the fact we needed to set up formal soft skills training. We even have a communications course. How do you communicate as a pet care professional? And I think it's the soft skills side, which is in higher demand now, even than some of the technical knowledge and skills. It's the same concept being applied. I opened a dog grooming business because I like dog grooming, but I don't have the hard skills of accounting and I'm working at a dog groomer or I'm working at a doggy daycare because I like dogs and not thinking about you also have to interact with humans. And we've had multiple uh, dog behaviorists and dog trainers on Dog Words who talk about the toughest part of their job is the human interaction, not working with the dogs (laughs) because you have to communicate to the human sometimes that your dog is not the problem. You are the problem. (laughs) And there's a right way to present that and a wrong way to present that if you want to maintain them as a customer and ultimately help that dog. So, yeah, people can come into the industry from a variety of avenues, not having either the hard skills or the soft skills they need. So, yeah, I can see how that would be just a godsend for some businesses. I have these people who are great with the dogs. The dogs love them, but they tick off the customers. (laughs) Exactly. The other thing that we decided was important because our whole goal is to help change the lives of dogs by helping the staff understand how to read their body language and be a good advocate for them. And while we were training pet care staff on all of that, we did decide about 
a year ago to take some of that content and use it for pet parents because all of the same information about understanding your dog and reading your dog and knowing when your dog is happy and helping to be a good advocate for your dog is applicable to humans too. So that's why we started Roughly Speaking as a membership site for pet parents to give them knowledge on how to build a stronger bond with their dog, how to understand their dog better, and just how to be a really good advocate for their dog as well. So we added that component under the Dog Guru's umbrella as well. That provides consistent feedback for the dog. Mm -hmm. They're getting, trying to think of the right way to word this, at the daycare, they're being handled by someone who understands the best way to interact with them, or even just using commands that are consistent at school and at home. (laughs) Right. You're teaching the same math, you're teaching the same grammar, instead of undoing what they're getting for eight hours, your dog's getting great training, great socialization, great enrichment. Don't undo that evenings and weekends. Right. And then we also, through Roughly Speaking, we also help pet parents understand how to pick a good pet care provider, which is obviously very important to us. So there's lots and lots of pet care providers out there, but not everyone is doing things the way that we would recommend as the safest way for the dogs or the most enjoyable way for the dogs. So giving them those tools as well, just to really help make the best decisions for their pet. Feel free to disagree with this, but I also think that helps not only with picking the right animal care facility, whether it's grooming or or daycare, it also helps them with picking the right dog. If they're better at reading dog body language and communicating with dogs, when they go to a shelter, rescue group, or breeder, instead of picking the dog that's the cutest or that is just the breed that they want, that they actually look at that individual dog and see, is there a real connection? Is this dog going to fit into our pack? What's its energy? Do we need a high energy dog, a low energy dog? Do we need a dog that's assertive or can we handle a dog that's insecure instead of misreading insecurity as enthusiasm? Oh, this dog is high energy. It's no, it's acting out. It's insecure. So you learn to read that dog, which doesn't mean you don't adopt it. It means you know what you're getting. We're a household that can handle that or no, we've got some small kids. Who don't really no, know how totally, to interact. Yeah, I would totally agree with so that. So you're, you're providing a service well beyond just what is going to help someone pick out a doggy daycare. You're going to help someone pick out the right dog for their family and leave that dog that's not a fit where it's at so it can find its forever home with the right family. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think all the questions that we get from pet parents, and you know, you get pet parents that say, how do I know if my dog's happy here or should I take my dog to this event or is my dog happy if I do leave him in a facility where he's staying overnight? All of those questions, if you understand how to read dog body language, the dog is telling you the answer. It's just that most people don't understand what the dog's saying. Mm -hmm. So just helping that pet parent to find the right dog, live with that right dog, and then be an advocate wherever they are with their dog is all encompassed in just understanding how to read dogs. So that's a big aspect of what we've always wanted to do just to help increase the positivity in the life of dogs. Well, I'm glad your response validated what I said because now I don't have to edit it out of the interview. Makes my job easier. (laughs) Thank you. For our listeners, not all of them are going to 
hear this and think, I'm going to open a doggy daycare. I'm going to become a pet groomer. I'm going to log on to your website. You have a lot of useful things for people who aren't in the dog industry, but don't overlook the value of sharing this episode or at least sending a link to the Dog Guru's website, which will be in the description, to your dog welfare provider, your animal welfare provider, whether it's a groomer or a spa or whoever is interacting with your dog to make sure that they know about these resources because I'm sure there are some out there who are looking for the guidance that you're offer, the support that you're offering, maybe don't know that dog the dog gurus are out there. So let your provider know, or it might be a tactful way to let them know that they need some of the <laughs> things. Maybe you link to a specific video uh, to tactfully let them know you could be doing this better, or there's a solution for this problem you did not realize you have, but all of your clients realize <laughs> you need to address. Do you get any feedback from people telling you, I shared this with my provider? We do hear that from time to time. And as Susan said, a lot of times it's the people who have worked in one facility and moved to another facility. We have had pet parents email us and say, you know, how do I talk to my business owner where I take my dog. But I would say more often, it just helps that pet parent understand that I'm not even going to bother with that facility. I'm going to go to this one over here that is doing things the right way. So, and I I will say we have two different websites. So we actually have the doggurus.com, which is specifically for businesses. And then roughly speaking.com is for the pet parents. So you can really have either one or both of them you can look at depending on which you know, camp you fall in, basically. Both of those will be linked in the description for this episode, uh, along with uh, any episodes that I've referenced in this discussion. Those will also be linked in the episode. Well, I'm glad that you are making things better, not just for dogs and their owners, but for the people who are trying to provide a service that is sorely needed. All of the different businesses that you've listed that can benefit from the dog gurus, we're trusting with one of our most valued possessions. Um, And I don't even like using the word possessions, our companions. They're our valued companions. And anything we can do to make that uh, a better experience for our dogs, I'm in favor of. So I'm glad that you guys got the ball rolling on this and that it seems to be such a wonderful success. Are there uh, any changes or updates or uh, features coming to the dog gurus in the future that you're looking at expanding or adding? I think our goal is just to grow so we can help more pet businesses be successful, which in turn helps more dogs and families. You know, we're trying to really see what the businesses could benefit from. So we're focused on our, you know, staff training programs and possibly building in their own SOP training along with what we're providing for knowledge and skills. So that's one thing we're looking at for next year and just having the growth of expertise because Rod and I can't do it all. So we're building our coaching team. One way we stand out with our coaching team is all of them have owned or operated their own pet care businesses. So they understand the shoes that their clients they're working with are walking in. Some of them still own their business and coach with us. 
on a part-time basis. Well, that's so walking. Really yeah, that's walking the walk. That's recognizing we have a limited skill set, and we would benefit from bringing in people with other skills and experience that will complement what we do. Well, that's what yeah. you want people who use the dog gurus to recognize. I'm great at something. I don't have to be great at everything right. because there's people out there that want to work with me, that want to help me. Let's partner up. Exactly. It takes a village to raise your dog and your pet business. So we like being a part of that village. Well, thank you again for growing that community. Check out the dog gurus, whether you are a business or not. There's tools. There are resources for all dog owners or prospective dog owners to use. And again, share this with your groomer, your daycare provider, and let them know what the dog gurus can do for them. Robin Bennett, Susan Briggs, thank you so much for being on Dog Words. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was fun. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to the dog gurus, Robin Bennett and Susan Briggs, for joining us today. There are links in the description for thedoggurus.com, roughlyspeakingdog.com, and their social media. Next time on Dog Words, we'll chat with author and veterinarian Dr. Doug Mater. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule at thewires.info, and download their music on iTunes. This is the perfect time to download or order their wonderful CD of holiday music, Winter. You'll hear some of those selections right here on Dog Words. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Current links in the description for more information. Go to rosyfun.org to shop and get links to our social media. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the contact form at rosyfund.org and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening to Dog Words, and remember, we save each other.